Today's reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, which you will find on page 1081 in the Church Bibles. That's 1081 in the Church Bibles. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. He, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example of what you should do, or that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Dear Lord, we see from this passage that You are our Lord and our teacher. We pray this morning that you would teach us. That, Lord, uh, you would open our hearts and our minds to receive uh, what you have to teach us today. And uh, we pray that um, we will take that on board and that we would um, serve you through it. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we begin a new series. We've been looking at Nehemiah up until now, but now we're looking at a new series which is looking at um, Christ-like serving, what that looks like. And it's over three Sundays. This is the first of them. And, uh, and we're looking at this passage from John. And you will see, if you're looking at the Bibles that you've got on your seats there, that, it, um, that the title that's been given it is Jesus Washes His Disciples' Feet. Of course, the titles weren't in the original 
text they've been added to help us to have a structure. Now, on one level, that's pretty accurate that that's what Jesus does. He washes his disciples' feet. But the act is so full of imagery and meaning uh, that it's so much more than the mere act itself. It's like saying a kiss is two lips hitting somebody's face. It's so much more than that, isn't it? It's saying so much more than that. You could also say this washing is like an enacted parable played out in front of them, played to them. He doesn't simply talk about it, he does it. It is then, on another level, a vivid example of what humble service would look like. And Jesus says, verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. So again, that, that, that is true, but, but as you take a look, closer look at this passage, you realise there isn't much more than that. You could say, in a, in, in a way, that it's a bit of a puzzle, because you keep discovering that is saying more than you first thought it was. Uh, let me show you what I mean. When Jesus gets around to Peter in the foot washing, Peter cannot contain himself, can he? Verses 6 to 8. He questions what Jesus is doing and then flatly refuses to allow it. You can rely on Peter to always be passionate and usually a bit impetuous. Doesn't seem to learn from the last time he did that. Verse 7, Jesus says, You do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Well, that's a little bit odd, isn't it? If it was only about foot washing, even as an example... Why would he later understand? And then, um, after refusing, Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me, as Rob pointed out. Well, didn't that strike you as rather harsh if, if this is all just about an example? So it's a bit of a puzzle. So what's going on here? Well, one way of looking at it is this. You, uh, you may have uh, seen the film Shrek, or you will at least have heard of it, I'm sure, the film. It's a sort of a modern tale, a fairy tale. It's an animated film, and the main character, Shrek, is an ogre, if you know what one of those is, and his sidekick is a talking donkey. <laughs> y- yeah, I know, but it sort of works, okay? Um, so Shrek explains, because he's a bit of an unusual ogre, that his character is really quite complex. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's a bit of a puzzle, for the donkey. And uh, so he says to the donkey that he's an onion. Now the donkey then goes off uh, trying to imagine why Shrek could call himself a, an onion. And uh, my favourite um, of his is the things he comes up with is that he reckons that Shrek smells so bad it makes your eyes water. <laughs> but Shrek says, no, no, it's because I have layers, like an onion has layers. And in a sense, this passage has layers. So let me see if I'll explain why I believe that and what the passage is saying to us. And uh, so I've got three headings that I hope should come up on the screen. Yeah. So the first of those headings is the ultimate act of service. So John, for us, sets the scene in the first three verses. And let's just recap those for a minute. It was just before Passover, feast, Jesus knew that a time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own 
who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. You could uh, translate that last bit, he loved them to the last. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Before I go uh, on from that, just notice that the next word is so in the beginning of verse 4. This was the hour. This was the time. Jesus' ministry had led up to this point. The feast of the Passover. And Jesus is going to the cross in a way to become the once for all Passover lamb. In chapter 12, the chapter just before, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And now, you notice that twice in this passage, it says that Jesus knew. He knew he was going to leave the world and he was returning to God. John tells us that Judas has already betrayed or has decided to betray him. So everything is set in motion now. But it's not, you notice, out of his control. All things are under his power, it says, verse 3. So, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Pilate, the Roman soldiers, even the crowd, might have thought that they were directing things and they were in control, but they weren't. What is happening is within the Father's plan, and all things under Christ's power at this time. But then John says, at the end of verse 1, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, wouldn't you expect that whatever comes next would relate to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice? <coughs> that he, where he died for us all. Chapter 15, just a little bit further on in the Gospel. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So he's talking about the ultimate act of service. Wouldn't that be it? When John records that Jesus got up from the table and washes the disciples' feet, well then this action must be teaching us about Jesus' ultimate act of love and service. So one writer put it this way. This action is performing a symbolic prefigurement of his cleansing sacrifice at Calvary. That's sort of a bit of a mouthful. So prefigurement means it's a picture or an image before the event. So he is preparing his disciples for that ultimate act of service. He has spoken about it, but now he takes that a step further and actually he performs something which is like a prefigurement of it. He prefigures it. Let's see how the passage shows this and what it teaches us. So it's from verse 4. So he gets up and prepares to wash his disciples' feet, removing clothing in order to do that, which sort of is a prefigurement of what will happen when he goes to the cross. He's taking the role of a servant. It is a humble, humiliating act, as he now kneels before his disciples' feet and washes them. But it's packed that with imagery, isn't it? But still, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, 
You do not realize now what I'm doing, but you will understand later. Suddenly then, that makes more sense. So Jesus is saying that you will understand this later when I have died and risen. So he's preparing them. Now, Peter then makes it, or helps us, to, uh, to make this meaning even more obvious by trying to stop it. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Now, I have some sympathy here for Peter, because uh, we can see in hindsight that he's clearly wrong, but he believes that Jesus is Lord, though I doubt he realizes the full extent of what he means when he says that. So to him it seems unthinkable, somewhat embarrassing, that Jesus should behave like this. What are you doing? He might say to Jesus. But we don't get the impact of what this was to the disciples. I mean, I dare say you might not like the idea of washing somebody's dirty feet. But I doubt that you feel as strongly about it as the disciples did. So washing feet was a common event then because people walked about in a hot climate with sandals, walking through the streets. This is not like walking on the beach where the, the sea has washed the sand clean. You're walking in streets where people and animals have dropped goodness knows what on the ground and you're walking in it. So then you walk in somebody's house. It's like going into somebody's house with filthy Wellington boots on. So washing the feet was something that happened often. The thing was that um, servants didn't do it. It, uh, In fact, it would have to have been done by a slave. And in fact, a Jewish slave wouldn't do it. So this is the lowest of the low that would have to wash people's feet. I don't know whether you noticed, but um, John the Baptist, if you remember, said that he was unfit to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. He was looking for the lowest thing as a comparison. So this would be very shocking that Jesus would stoop so low to do this. I'm trying to think of a, re- of a way of sort of getting that across to you. It would be like King Charles III coming round to your house and you allowing him to clean the toilets. It's that shocking. It is outrageous. So Peter says, no. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, You have no part with me, verse 8. So Jesus is seeing beyond the foot washing to the cross, where Christ washes us, cleanses us from our sin, when we submit and confess that only he can do that. We can never cleanse ourselves. Either he cleanses us, or we remain filthy, burdened with sin, And we can never be right with God. Only by the blood of Jesus can we be rescued. This then is the most important lesson. You cannot make yourselves clean unless Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. But this thing, what Peter is up against here, is it offends his pride. As it does all people that we have to admit that we are hopeless sinners. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We still want to, as Peter does here, want to cling to the idea that we can do our bit. Want to hang on to some vestige of pride. 
think perhaps that we can do our bit, that, that we can be a good person. You know, we, we uh, love our family, we don't do all of these things, but it's no good. It has to be he that washes us. But there is another aspect to this uh, that I believe Peter is thinking here, which is so like how we think. Peter sees us, Jesus' actions as humiliating. In that Jesus is supposed to be his Lord. And Jesus is embarrassing him. Embarrassing that he should worship a Lord who is someone that would wash people's feet. Someone who would give himself up to her humiliating death. Be a servant. And the Bible tells us that actually that's true. It is an offence to many. But then that is the ultimate grace and love. It's the only way that we can be clean. Peter, the disciples, only later will understand that. So Peter might think that this is shocking, but he will face a far greater test. That is because Jesus' determination to love and serve his own will take him to the cross. So I hope you begin to see that this passage foreshadows the great act of service that is about to come. But my second point is that it is also an example for us to follow. This, if you like, is the next layer uh, in the passage. Does the fact that it points to the cross mean that it cannot actually teach us something else as well? Now here is the genius of what Jesus does here. He prepares them for the cross by and through teaching them how it is that they should love and serve one another. So I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here are the disciples, sat at the table after this has taken place, feeling shocked that Jesus would be the one to have to have done it. And you can imagine maybe they're nudging each other and saying, you won't catch me washing your feet, mate. And Jesus says that's precisely what he wants to catch them doing for each other. To follow Christ starts with humbling ourselves before the cross. But that attitude of humility is not to stop there but continue now in our relationship with each other. We are continue in humble service, serving one another in the same way that Christ has served us. There are some churches who um, have put on foot washing ceremonies, yeah, ceremonies, and within services perhaps. And uh, well, it's okay, I'm not going to do that. You can keep your shoes and socks on. But I suppose it, it is that they're trying to catch this vivid example. 
But as much as it is a marvelously uh, vivid example of humble service, it, um, its challenge is in it's displaying an attitude that should always uh, or should be towards each other. And there's a wealth of different situations in which you could apply that. You see, the great temptation, I think, is to dumb this down. To think like, well, I serve using my gifts and in the best possible way uh, by doing something that is important. And now there are many ways to serve and I don't want to get into comparisons. But to say that we can try and remove humbly serving bit just because it's uncomfortable is actually to miss the whole point. So Jesus tells us that this matters that we serve one another if we regard him as our Lord and teacher. Because if we do that, how can we not follow his example? If he is our Lord, what does it say if we don't? Verse 16, no servant is greater than his master or messenger greater than the one who sent him. So do you see the implication in that? If we say that serving this or that person is beneath us or doing this or that task then we are claiming to be above Jesus superior to him Jesus says this but further on in the, in the chapter verse 34 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People will see how you treat each other and will recognise who it is you serve. We're going to look over the next couple of sermons at what that might look like to serve one another, to explore it. But as I finish this point, one more thing I want to say uh, uh, out of these verses. So Jesus acknowledges in verse 13, what they are calling him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what he is. So he specifically pulls out those two titles. And we must take that to heart, that if we say Jesus is our Lord, then he must be our teacher. Because we're being taught by someone or other all the time, a person at work or by the company you work for, by some pressure group or faction. You cannot avoid it. You switch on the television, you switch on the radio, read the papers, you're being taught. But if we acknowledge Christ as Lord, then we must allow him to be our teacher. Make every effort to spend time with him, reading and listening to his word, his truths and standards. Because if Jesus is not our teacher, then he is not our Lord. All this should be enough then to, uh, to have reason to want to serve him by serving each other. But I want to show you yet one other, and it's my third point, the nature of Christ. Now did you notice um, the amazing sort of contradiction between verses 3 and 4. So we read there that all things are under his power. He has the ultimate power. 
He, he knew it. He is the king above all kings. And what does he choose to do? Notice that word so again. All things are under his power, so. Not all things are under his power, but nevertheless, or despite that, but so. He gets up, strips down, wraps a towel around his waist, and takes the role of the lowliest of all servants. Peter thought he understood what being Lord was, meant, but he didn't. Jesus shows him what being Lord means. And praise God, he would later understand that. There is a lovely song by Graham Kendrick called The Servant King. This is our God, the Servant King. He calls us now to follow him. He calls us to do this because doing this is how he is. It is within his very nature to do this. He has all power, but this is what he chooses to do. Isn't that so different from what the world teaches, believes and worships? Yet strangely enough, we see this attitude of Christ has permeated uh, our society in this country like the view that says our government so those who rise to the very top must be servants of those for whom they govern and then I'm indebted to the person who pointed out the beauty of this final sentence here verse 17 now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them you will be a blessing to others if you serve them and that blessing will return to you. And you will be blessed when you see that by serving you are a witness to your creator, your Lord and your saviour. But even more than that, you will be blessed as you serve like this because you will be a little more like him. Amen to that. Let's pause and be quiet for a moment. Dear Lord, we pray that you will help us, enable us to love and serve you by loving and serving each other. That so by we might grow to be more like you. Amen.